Well, greetings in the Master's name. Not a whole lot of the Pike congregation here, but I was thinking that uh, looking out over the Pike congregation that uh, most of the old people are gone and it's only the young ones that are left. And uh, so, however that is. So the subject is contentment. Um, some time ago, I ran across this book, probably at Book Savers, The Power of Enough by Lynn Miller. He was somebody who went around giving talks on stewardship. It says, finding contentment, but uh, gave this incident in here. He said, some time ago, I received a call from someone in Florida trying to sell me a septic tank additive. This lady went on and on about the necessity of having the right amount of the right kind of bacteria in my septic tank to avoid having problems with bad drainage and blocked pipes. She described the awful task of digging up a drain field to replace the clogged tile and the horrible smell from the messy pools of black water that indicated you had a plug system. She also detailed the high cost of fixing all that and how for just a fraction of that cost, by buying her product and using it regularly, I could avoid all that expense and difficulty. Fortunately, when I had a new septic system put in, the county engineer had sent me some material on how a septic system works. I was prepared for this kind of sales pitch, but instead of arguing with the lady about the necessity of putting more bacteria in a system that produces bacteria naturally when you use a system, I just said to her, Thank you very much for your concern, but I have enough bacteria in my system and more bacteria will not make me happier. And without even saying a word, she hung up on me. Now, if you can make a telemarketer hang up on you, that's power. Um, so the point isn't to, uh, to be rude to telemarketers. They're people just like we are and they probably have an unthankful job. But the point is that more stuff doesn't make us happier, whether it's bacteria or whatever. Um, somebody quote to me, somebody, one of you all quote to me, Psalm 23, 1. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It said, and I don't know if this really happened or not, but it could have, that, uh, well, first of all, I want to say that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The The word there is lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, is the, is the meaning. Uh, Young's literal translation says, Jehovah is my shepherd, I do not lack. But anyway, it said that uh, a little girl in quoting it said, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. And uh, she might not have had the verse exactly right, but her theology was good. And uh, so can any of us actually say that? The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. I mean, for me, I'm still buying books. Um, what do you want? And my guess is there's quite a few things you want and plan to get eventually. So are you content or are you discontent? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a word that starts with C. Yes, okay, uh, turn to Hebrews 13, verse 5. 
Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So conversation there means manner of life. Um, the uh, modern King James Version had it this way. Let your way of life be without the love of money, and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, Not at all will I leave you, not at all will I forsake you, never. Now Young's literal translation said, Without covetousness the behavior, being content with the things present, for he has said, No, I will not leave, no, nor forsake thee. And so what it says is, we're to be content because we have Jesus. And so if we have Jesus, that's, that's all we need. And we would probably say, sure, amen. That's pretty simple. But are we content with just Jesus? And then the next verse says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now that's pretty sobering. I mean, I was thinking about, we, we most of us know what's going on in Ukraine. So if you were a farmer in eastern Ukraine and all your equipment got carted off by the occupying force and your crops destroyed and your fields mined and so on and all you had left was Jesus, that's all you have left. And it's not just Ukraine, it goes on in other parts of the world, Congo, Sudan, China, persecutions being ramped up. So for a lot of people in the world, that's very true. Be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's all a lot of people have. And maybe, well, no, I guess uh, that's not quite right. I was going to say maybe they're more content than we are. I don't know. It's a pretty miserable situation, some of them, but. Well, then, one more verse here yet. Verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. There's something I like about that verse, um, or I especially notice. It doesn't say Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's interesting that it ends that way. And so if we have Jesus, we have everything. And thinking a little bit more along this line, you know, be content because you have Jesus. And he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, perhaps some of you or many of you might know the, the, the hymn history, the history of the uh, the background to the song Now Thank We All Our God by Martin Rinkert, uh, a song we sometimes sing at Thanksgiving. It's in, it's uh, 690. In here, but um, Martin Rinkert was a Lutheran pastor in the city of Eilenburg, uh during the during the uh, excuse me 
during the Thirty Years' War. He had actually applied to be pastor there when he was younger, and he didn't get it. And so he was he was appointed then as pastor in 1617, which was the year before the Thirty Years' War started. Thirty Years' War was a very devastating, horrific war in Germany, 1618 to 1648. So he was like, I forget how old he was, but he, I think he was, well, I don't remember quite. But anyway, he was appointed there in 1617, and then the war started in 1618, so the 30 years of his productive life, his inner, when he had his energy and so on, you know, was during the 30 years' war. And he wrote this song, Now Thank We All Our God, in 1636. I think that's fairly accurate, um, as far as the timing, uh, what number did I say that was? Um, 690. And it was actually a, um, a little, uh, little table prayer. In other words, we say, we say grace, you know, before meals. And that's what he wrote it for, but it became quite popular. But in the, Eilenburg was a, a walled city and you had the opposing armies moving back and forth and both of them taking advantage of the people in the city and so on and, you know, wanting supplies from them and money and whatever they could get out of them. And so it was very, uh, just a very horrific uh, time. And uh, so he wrote this 1636 and all that he had gone through at that point. And he says, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things have done in whom his world rejoices and how the blessings... But then the second verse, I wonder if the second verse maybe um, is a little more a um, request. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. The next year, 1637, of course, what, the three horsemen in Revelation, it's war and plague and famine. And uh, so a plague broke out in 1637. There were... He was kind of a senior pastor. There's some others there. I don't. I don't know what the population had been before the war started, but uh, it was very much crowded with refugees. And two of the pastors had died, and two others had evidently left out. So he was only the main pastor left, and said he would do like 50 funerals a day. Now it said read 50. I guess they had their formula. You know, he'd read their formula, but he did 50 a day and got so bad they just buried him in trenches and that year he did over 4,000 including his wife and he wrote this song well he'd written the song the year before how's a man maintain that attitude that thankfulness in those kind of circumstances and so the war ended in 1648 and he died in 1649 I uh, I get a newsletter uh, called Mennonite Mexico Aid. Uh, it's about the efforts to um, 
help the uh, old colony people in Mexico. And Galen uh, Nisley is the chairman of the board. Uh, and he, in the last issue, he was telling about a little trip they took, a uh, family trip. I think he's in Indiana, and they must come east for, I don't know, his family get-togethers or what. But he had stopped at the... Uh, he stopped to see the uh, memorial where the flight, what was it, 93, went down during, you know, 911. And then he, uh, they stopped at Nickel Mines, went to the graves of some of the people there, and uh, they went to uh, Ground Zero. He said they went way down. So it was kind of a somber atmosphere. But uh, he, um, he made a comment in that article. He said... Uh, as I think back to those times of loss and pain for our country, I ask myself, what was God trying to tell our country or me? What I have found in life is that when times are good, I tend to rely on myself too much. But when things get bad, pain, loss, fear, I rely more on God. I guess that's where Martin Rinkert came out too. So, was he content? Well, he was thankful. I guess he, he was content in the sense of Hebrews 13.5. Uh, there's a song. It's in, uh, it's in the church hymnal. It's, we don't, I don't think we sing it very often because it's kind of a duet type song. It says, Amid life's ever changeful scenes, my trustful soul on Jesus leans. The sun may shine, the storm may beat, I'll only bow at Jesus' feet. Midlife's ever changeful scenes. Now when we think about contentment, we all think about stuff, and uh, I'd like to broaden out a little bit from that. Uh, said the opposite of contentment, we could think of the opposite of contentment as covetousness, now, what's the Tenth Commandment? You know your Ten Commandments? What's the Tenth one? Thou shalt not, not covet. And it says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So, oh, and in Deuteronomy, it says, when it's given the rehearse of the Ten Commandments, it says, desire, thou shalt not desire. Thou shalt not covet. Okay, his house, however spacious that might be. And thy neighbor's wife. So, you know, are we satisfied with our station in life? Are we sat There's a lot of people that evidently covet their neighbor's wife, according to the divorce rates. Nor his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his, uh, his equipment, his ass, his, his livestock, or anything that is our neighbor's. So, not just stuff. Talking about being content, not talking just about stuff. Talking about our station in life where we find ourselves. Um, 
Isaiah 3 is quite a description of Zion's daughters uh, and evidently their lack of contentment about who they were. Um, are we content with the way God made us? Uh, or do we feel a need to alter or add on or attract? Are we content? The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. Or... Let's turn to Philippians 4. Now, Philippians 4, verses 10 to 20. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit, and may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Kind of interesting that uh, he says he rejoiced that your care of him has flourished. Um, well, he said before they were, they wanted to, but they didn't have the opportunity and so he received some gift from them, some financial help. And he says, it's not that I, you know, uh, had this great need or want, but um, he says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. But he said, I know how to do with little and I know how to do with a lot. Well, that, that's a challenge too. I know how to be content with, actually, <laughs> Sometimes the people that have a lot are the ones that are less content. He said, I know how to be content if I got a lot, and I know how to be content if I don't have much. Uh, so that's a challenge. And uh, so, he, so to be instructed, to be full, to be hungry, to abound, to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ. So there, there it is. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. But he says, you did well that you shared with me. And, uh, and he says... This passage, um, well, this is kind of a sideline, but people that say uh, that, you know, Paul and Corinthians, uh, I see Paul says about um, how he worked, you know, to supply his own needs and, you know, and, and, uh, and that he didn't need ministerial support and so on. Well, that's just some scriptures. That's not all of them. And uh, here he says uh, he appreciated their support. Uh, he said it wasn't that, you know, I was really anxious for it or anything, and I could have got along without it. 
But he says more than the fact that uh, met his needs, uh, and they did it more than once, he says. Um, but he says uh, mainly what I'm, I'm glad about is that what it did for you. Because he says, I have all and abound and I'm full. Uh, and the, 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 the terms that are used here are accounting terms. It's kind of like that uh, it was added to their ledger. What they shared with him was added to their ledger. Uh, that kind of reminds you of what Jesus said about laying up treasures in heaven. But the point here is um, he was content in whatever state he was in. And uh, I, uh, I want to read that just uh, to a little bit alternate wording from the uh, Williams translation. That's uh, a little older translation and never caught on that much. But it's uh, interesting the way he worded some things. This is the same thing, 10 through 20. I was made very happy as a Christian to have your interest in my welfare revived again after so long because you have always had the interest but not the opportunity to show it. Not that I refer to any personal want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to live in lowly circumstances, and I know how to live in plenty. I have learned the secret in all circumstances of either getting a full meal or of going hungry, of living in plenty or being in want. I can do anything through him who gives me strength. But you did me a kindness to share my sorrow with me, and you Philippians yourselves know that immediately after the good news was first preached to you when I left Macedonia, no church but yours went into partnership with me to open an account of credits and debits. Even while I was at Thessalonica, you sent money more than once for my needs. It is not your gift that I want, but I do want the profits to pile up to your credit. I have received your payment in full, and more too. I am amply supplied after getting the things you sent by Epaphroditus. They are like sweet incense, the kind of sacrifice that God accepts and approves. My God will amply supply your every need through Christ Jesus from his riches in glory. Glory to our God and Father forever and ever. Amen. But this attitude of Paul's, he can have that attitude because what he said back in chapter 3, where he said, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. So he, like I say, he truly had that attitude that the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. He, and of course, Paul had given up a lot for, for Jesus Christ. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That's what he says. Are we content with our state in life? Is it wrong to have desires? Is it wrong to want to be married? Is it wrong to want children? What about the young lady or the young man who's looking forward to marriage and they get jilted? The other party walks away on them at the last minute.
Are they content in the state they're in? They may be, there may be a lot of hurt, emotional pain, disappointment. What about the family that has a half a dozen or more children, but then one or two are taken in an accident? Content? You see, what do we mean by content? I mean, Paul said, he gave a list of the things he suffered, and yet he said, I have learned. He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That's something to learn. Oh, and this was interesting to me too, thinking about do we have anything, if we're content, is there anything we want? Well, in 2 Timothy, you know, 2 Timothy, we think that was written shortly before Paul's execution. And we have these glorious words, for I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that also that love his appearing. But then a few verses later we have, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. So it's okay to want books. I have scripture for that. Um, but he said, you know, he wanted his coat. Well, he's probably kind of chilly there in prison. I don't know. So there were some things he wanted, some things he desired, but he was still content. I think he was still content. Whatever state he was in, he was content with Jesus. And looking up some things about hymns, different hymns I was thinking of in relation to this subject, and I ran across this on some site, uh, talking about Philippians uh, 3, 7, and 8, where Paul says, uh, what things were gained to me, those I kind of lost for Christ. And this uh, person said, that, that is the essence of a Christ-centered life, and its reward is nothing less than intimate and eternal fellowship with the Lord himself. It is an outlook that Jane Bonar expresses so beautifully and passionately in her hymn, Fade, Fade, Each Earthly Joy, repeating 12 times the key phrase, Jesus is mine. Though many things, even good things, crowd into our days, our desire should be that in all things he may have the preeminence. That's Colossians 1.18. By comparison, the things of this world are merely perishing things of clay born but for one brief day. That's verse 2 in Fade, Fade, Earthly Joy. And the last verse, Farewell, ye dreams of night. Jesus is mine. What, what are some of our dreams? Lost in this dawning bright, Jesus is mine. All that my soul has tried, left but a dismal void, Jesus has satisfied. Jesus is mine. The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. There's a song, I don't think it's in either one of these books, but 
Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. Uh, it's kind of interesting this morning. Um, I have my hearing aids on this thing. I've been, I don't wear them as regular as I should, but I had them on this morning. And when uh, Joe Fisher announced the song, I thought he said 301. And so I looked in here for 301, and it was face-to-face -face with Christ my Savior. And they started singing, Fade, Fade, Each Earthly Joy. So I found it. I mean, I looked in the titles, and it's 881, I believe it is. 881. Yeah. So I thought, well, I must have heard 301 when he said 881. But then I thought, that, well, that was kind of serendipitous too because fade, fade each earthly joy, Jesus is mine. And then 301 is face to face with Christ my Savior. So uh, kind of a companion thoughts there. And, uh, and this thing about fade, fade each earthly joy, when I think about that song, I think about... Um, well, let's see, how does it say it? Um, well, maybe it doesn't really say anything more along that line, but what I think about is a, 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 fot a photograph, uh, somebody taking a picture of something, like a, a flower or something, and you just really want it to be in sharp contrast. You know, you want it to be really sharp, and everything else in the background is kind of fuzzy. Well, you see, that's the way things are supposed to be in life. We're looking at Jesus, and he's real sharp in focus, and all this other stuff's kind of fading into the background. It's kind of fuzzy, you know. And then the song, Face to Face with Christ my Savior, it says, When with rapture I behold him, and the second verse says, Only faintly now I see him with the darkling veil between. And so... That would indicate he's not in very sharp focus, but I would say that the the sharper our focus on him, and the more in the background other stuff is, the less faint that we'll see him now. And uh, and so then when I looked up "Fade Fade Each Earthly Joy" in here, which they were singing out of the church hymnal, and I was singing out of here. And I didn't realize that I had missed the whole thing as far as the different book he was leading from. I guess I was thinking about something else. Until after church, somebody told me, did you realize you were in the wrong book? And I said, no, I didn't know that. But anyway, so now I knew. Uh, but anyway, so then I saw uh, across the page from 881, Fade, Fade, Each Earthly Joy, was I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus in silver or gold. Uh, I'd rather have Jesus in men's applause. Uh, I'd rather have Jesus in worldly fame. I'd rather have Jesus in anything. That's contentment. If you'd go out here at the mall or Walmart or on the street or whatever, and you'd ask 10 people to finish this sentence, contentment is, or what kind of answers you'd get? Uh, what would you say? Contentment is, 
Well, contentment is having Jesus. There's a lot of competition for Jesus. There's a lot of distractions from Jesus. You know, consumer society, stuff, stuff, stuff. We live in a consumer society. Many years ago, I, I think it was an editorial in the paper. I forget kind of how it went. But the idea was about uh, making the Middle East uh, a place where we could import, uh, export stuff to, you know, get them to buy a bunch of stuff from the U.S. or something. But then the, uh, the writer said, well, first of all, we're going to have to, before they're going to buy stuff from us, we're going to have to turn them into a consumer society. People don't buy stuff until you're a consumer society. So we're a consumer society, you know, stuff, stuff, stuff. Um, and so a lot of competition, a lot of distractions, and it's not just stuff, it's, it's not just having stuff, it's what the stuff does to us. There's a, it's a good article in the next, uh, well, the, I, we came, I don't know if y'all have gotten it yet, but we did it at Mabel. Uh, November, December, Lifelines has an article by Brother James on how does my star smartphone affect my walk with God. It's a good article, and it's right to the point of what we're talking about. Uh, the scene, face-to-face -face with Christ my Savior, that's where we want to be. Uh, let's turn yet to uh, one more passage, 1 Timothy 6. I think I'll read this whole chapter, 1 Timothy 6. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereby cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation, and a snare, and to many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quitteneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the, only, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, 
but in the living Christ who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Very interesting chapter. The first two verses, he's talking to slaves. And he says, Serve your masters well. And he says, don't be, don't think less of them or be disrespectful to them or be feel less obligated to them because they're your brothers. Serve them even better because, you know, they're your brothers in the Lord. Now, I don't think this passage is either, it's not condoning slavery. It's not uh, necessarily condemning it, this passage here. But you talk about being content with whatever state you're in. He's, he doesn't say you're in a miserable situation. Get out of it as soon as you can. He's saying serve well in the state you're in. So when it comes to thinking about our view of economics and stuff, it's kind of radical. And then he goes on to say... In verse 5, about perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. I guess that we wouldn't say that we believe that gain is godliness, but how close are we to it? You know, um, we live by good Christian principles, and so... The Lord blesses us and we get ahead. Gain us, gain us godliness. Did you ever hear of us withdrawing ourselves from such people? Is this from such withdrawal thyself? Pretty interesting. Well then, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. I did have to wonder why that's coupled. Maybe it just, they go together. I mean, can you be God, can you have godliness without contentment? This godliness with contentment is great gain. But I think the focus there is, I think contentment is part of godliness. And that, that's, contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. And it gives a reason. In verse 7, because, hey, we're not taking anything with us. So be content. Be content with less than a lot. Godliness. In other words, gain is not the goal. And so the conclusion then is verse 8, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. And that's the same as the Sermon on the Mount. And then in verse 11, he says, But thou, a man of God, flee these things. And then he says, What to pursue? So he says, He says, Flee gain. That's kind of interesting, too. 
but follow righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. So flee stuff, flee the desire to be rich, flee the love of money, and we would probably all say that I don't desire to be rich. I don't love money. I just got to pay my bills. Well, where do bills come from? From buying stuff. So follow. Follow godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Tremendous contrast here. It takes time to pursue stuff. And it takes time to pursue God. It takes time to pursue godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. So which is it going to be? Are you in love with stuff? Or are you in love with Jesus? One more interesting thing to point out in this chapter. Well, Verses 17, 18, 19 talk about what to do if you do find your some people just seem like everything they touch turns to gold. They just have that management ability. Um, and it tells what to do. They're supposed to distribute, not accumulate. They're supposed to share. But verse 20, Timothy, keep that which is committed to that trust, avoiding and so on. But the word trust there uh, right now in um, at Mabel, we were encouraged to read through the English Standard Version, the one-year Bible. And in reading that recently, these verses, it uses deposit for trust. Uh, o Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And that's, that's the Greek rendering there. That's the, what the Greek word is there. And so we know what deposits are, bank deposits and so on, but he's saying... Timothy, you've had something deposited to you. You guard that. That's what you're to focus on. And then, actually, it's in the next um, book, too. I mean, 2 Timothy, in chapter 1, verse 14, says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. And that, and which, okay, verse 14, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost. And here again, the uh, English Standard Version says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That's where our focus needs to be. And there's one other one yet that uh, was interesting to me in this word deposit because in verse 12 of 2 Timothy 1 is where we have these words of Paul, I know whom I have believed and have persuaded thee is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And that word is also translated, uh, well, actually, the English Standard Version says entrusted to him, but it's also another Greek, it's not, ex it's, it's not quite the same Greek word, it's almost the same word, also means deposit. So, so Paul's saying what I've deposited to him, and Timothy has had something deposited to him, and Paul has deposited something uh, for his heavenly heavenly uh, um, what he's looking forward to and it made me think about uh, something some years back 
Anne Marie and I were relating to a a well-to-do couple uh, in West Virginia uh, giving some care, and the uh, the husband was uh, fairly advanced in dementia. And one time I was at his house, and uh, I don't remember if he wanted to go for a walk in the house or if we just happened to be walking through this room. But anyway, there was this file cabinet, and it, and there were several notebooks on top of it, and he patted those notebooks, and he said, it's all there, it's all there. Well, he didn't say what was all there, but I think I knew it was all his financial affairs, and it would have been millions. It was all there. Well, Paul, he had his all there, too. He knew what he had committed. So which is it going to be for us? Um, well, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. John Bunyan wrote a little poem called The Shepherd Boy Sings. It goes like this. He that is down need fear no fall. He that is low no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. Now the second verse is more on our subject this evening. I am content with what I have, little be it or much. And Lord, contentment still I crave because I'll save us such. Now the third one is a little harder to get because the word order shifted a little bit, but he says, fullness to such a burden is as go on pilgrimage, here little and hereafter bliss is best from age to age. The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. 